Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. I've had a lot to deal with, but in the formal last year, in the last 365 days post being kicked off the farm that I'd been living on for 10 years, the thing that brought me the most peace after I moved away from the farm and to a town that was my own, where me and my husband planted our own roots and got to start over, was gardening, was growing things planting seeds and longing to see them grow and longing to see what they would produce. It brought me peace. It brought me lots of frustration, don't get me wrong, because there were so many things that I had to rediscover and relearn about gardening because I had taken a hiatus from gardening because I went through this depression for like three years and I had no interest in gardening which is so unorthodox of who I am. I've been gardening since I was 12. And it really brought me peace this year. And every time I got overwhelmed or anxious or activated from the state of affairs and the state of the world, I would just retreat to my garden. And I would retreat to just the nature and listening to the crickets and the cicadas and the birds watching the grasshoppers, even though they were eating everything I was growing. But it brought me a sense of of joy and pride in that I did that. I grew something. I created something. I've nurtured it and cared for it and prayed over it, because pray over your gardens. And it brought me peace. Every time I felt myself get anxious or activated, that was my respite. That was my refuge, my garden, outside nature, greenery, right? Dirt, what we came from. And you know, the one thing I have never heard anyone endorse or advertise or encourage outside of individual content creators and producers like myself is to garden and to go outside and to soak up sun and to listen to the crickets and the cicadas 
And I think that's because there's a general understanding that the they and the systems and the institutions and the powers, they don't want us at peace. They want us at war. And if we know how to go find peace by ourselves, then we won't endorse their wars. And so if you want to be a rebel to the cause, go find peace. Because the institutions and the systems are not going to give you peace. They're not, they're not going to promote peace. Why would they promote peace? They're going to promote propaganda. They're going to promote fear frequency. They're going to pr- promote a, a perpetual state of anxiety, of activation, of anger, of contempt. If you believe there are forces and institutions, spirits, and, 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 and dark energies, and a conglomerate of controllers who are trying to brainwash you and corrupt you and control you and confine you, then you need to do everything that you can to rebel against that. And rebellion of control looks like finding peace whether it be peace of mind or whether it be peace within proximity. There is such a focus on the external world. There is such a focus on the world that you can't touch, that you can't see with your own eyes in person, that you can't smell, that you can't hear, that you can't taste. That focus is intentional. It's to disconnect you from divinity. It's to disconnect you from peace. It's to divide you against your partner to divide you against your children, your parents, your your family, your friends, your co-workers. There are institutions that want you divided and disconnected because then you transfer your energy and your power outward toward that source rather than inward toward peace. And we're not creators anymore. And that's why we're so unhappy and easily influenced, easily activated and triggered, susceptible to conspiracy theories and paranoia, is because we're not creating anymore. We're duplicating, we're imitating, we're mimicking. TikTok trends, copy this, do that. Nobody is creating anything anymore. And we all used to create our own food. Did you know that? We used to plant seeds. We used to grow things. And that used to give us purpose. Because the one thing that is constant in life is that we will always be hungry for food. We will always need food, no matter what. And growing your own food sustained your life. It helped you survive. Now you have all these external ideas telling you, you can't survive on your own. You need this and this and this. We need to get back to creating. We need to get back to connecting to nature, connecting to self connecting to our creative powers. That's the radical rebellion. You're not radical if you tweet something contradictory or condescending or as a call out to the other side, right? That's, that's not how you make change. You will not make changes in anger. You will not make in, any changes through contempt You will not be able to rationally formulate a plan to prevent that which you are afraid of because you're going to be locked in this primitive state of mind 
And then with these trends and this imitation and this duplication, we think that that's normal. We think that self-creation and that independent thought is not normal. And that's a really scary thought. We think that spending time gardening is stupid because it costs all this money to produce this one little fruit that only cost me five cents. And it's backwards, right? You have been convinced that your purpose is consumption and that commodity takes precedence over creativity and that duplication and production is purpose. And it's not. It's a lie. It's a lie that keeps you disconnected from your divinity. And these lies perpetuate because they have fun, fancy language. They have fun, fancy hashtags. Because they have, you know, a million other robots imitating the same song and dance. It's spectacle. Spectacle is not what we were created for. We are spirited creatures. We are already endowed with purpose and love, fortitude, strength, abundance, and power, healing power. But the longer we spend in the external world, away from planting seeds and creating things, the harder it's going to be to get back to finding the inner divinity to finding our healing powers and to actually making change in our intimate spaces that we can. So what is the solution to all the crazy? Gardening. That's my solution. Go grow something. Go grow something. Go create something. Go create. Create with with your partner. That's the one thing my husband and I share in, right? Is, and that's how we can connect both with spirit and divinity of other and with nature is growing a garden. I've seen a lot of couples um, that I'm connected to on the social media who are also doing this. And I think, yay, you know, there's people out there who are like getting back to like, you know, the, the basis of humanity. We are we're created to create, right? We create little little selves, right? We, we create our children, but we can create our food. Like we can grow it, we can nurture it, and, and we can eat in abundance. And it's collaboration and it's connection. And we can do that with our kids, you know? And I'm a homeschool mom, so my kids are all about that garden life, you know? And that's... That's what we were intended for. I know it sounds trivial and trite and dirty and sweaty and laborious, but there is such a, a reward in growing your own food and longing for it, right? Longing is like centered in love. So like you are loving the growth of your food. You have no idea what kind of energy you can grow into your food. Healing energy. Now, I know that sounds crazy. It sounds hippy-dippy. It sounds loony and batty, but there is an energy in the food that I grow. It's a healing love energy. Like I'm growing that and it produces seeds, which means I can do it again. So if I need to duplicate or imitate, 
I'll do it with the seeds so that I can continue to feed myself. Because again, that's the only thing that is for certain in my life that I will always need is food. And we see that there are these looming threats of food shortages and upcoming famines, upcoming droughts. There's farmer revolts and protests all over the world. There is a a growing uh, opposition, imposition, oppression against farmers, against people who just, you know, like want to do their own thing and want to grow and create. And so that should be a big sounding alarm for you to get back to nature and get back to the basics. And that starts with the seed that you plant in the earth and that you nurture and long for. And then it produces an endless cycle of more seeds so you can continue to feed yourself and you can connect and create with nature. It's really through that connection and that toiling of the soil and sweat, blood and tears that you put into your garden that I really believe revitalizes that inner knowing of our erotic connection to the world because the erotic connection is sense oriented and gardening is so sense oriented, right? Like touching the dirt, getting pricked by a cucumber vine, um, smelling the tomato blossoms, just the whole plant of a tomato, right? Smelling the flowers as they blossom, the smell of the dirt, the, the smell of the rain in the air, the feel of the grass carpet on your feet, right? The taste of that first ripened strawberry or tomato of the season, that crisp juice that drips down your chin from the first bite into a cucumber. That is so erotic because it incorporates all of the senses and it's this wonderful bond with nature and creation that really just revitalizes and energizes us and we are disconnected from that cycle and participation in life because you know we're scrolling and we're posting and we're anxious and paranoid and scared and swapping conspiracy stories and 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 enraged by what Biden said and enraged by Trump and enraged by all of the spectacle of externality that doesn't fucking matter it only matters if you set your mind to it but i'm trying to tell you that the only matter that you should be concerned with is the soil matter and the seed matter and watching little leaflings spring out, little vines trickling over. That's present moment activity. That's erotic activity. That is spiritual activity. That is creative energy. And I implore, I admonish, I urge, I beg of you. If you are looking for an escape of the external reality that is exhausting you and exasperating you, please, Go walk around barefoot outside in the grass. Get your fingernails dirty. Go connect and then create. Go grow. Growing a garden will help you grow 
love. And that sounds trite, doesn't it? Because, God, what have we done to love? Well, we've exploited it, right? Love, I wish people knew this. Like, I wish people, like, really wrapped every ounce of their energy around this truth. Love is the last remaining saving grace for our society, for our world. But for centuries, the notion that love could save, that love could heal us, that love could prevent death, do you know that was generally accepted? It was a motivating force that sustained humanity. It was by our ability to accept and collaborate with others through emotional and physical relation that we as people have endured. Love is the pinnacle of peace. Love is a pillar of eternity. Love is an energy that once created can never not exist because love is forever. Love is the superpower of the universe. Love is the superpower of divinity that was placed in our hearts and in our minds. History, however, shows that love is irrelevant. Philosophy reduces love. Psychology pathologizes love. Society just fucking rejects love. And religion only exploits the idea of love. Love as an idea has been discarded. It's been diluted. It's been completely dismissed. It's been co-opted by the Christians, mutilated by the Muslims, and jerked around by the Jews. Current political trends speak nothing about love except love of country. But hold on, be careful, because depending on which side of the political spectrum you land on, love for your country could mean that you're a Nazi, a fascist, or a national extremist. Or rather, what President Biden said was that you can't love your country only when you win politically. Isn't that interesting that a Democrat president says you can't love your country only when you win politically? Has Someone informed the Democrats, like, since I don't even know, they've always hated this country, always hated America. It seems to be like the general theme of Democrats is anti-American. But I digress. This isn't about Biden or extremists or hate or politics. This is about love, growing a garden, creating unity, and recognizing the spectacle of society and the insistence of separation, right? That external focus. An external focus on all the woes of the world that are exceptions to the rule that life is pretty great. I wanna I wanna read something to you. I picked up this book called Society of the Spectacle. It was written by Guy Debois. I might be ruining that name. I apologize. Um, but he was an editor of the journal International Situationist from 1958 to 1969. He's French. Um, I, I believe he was somewhat of a philosopher. I don't really know a whole lot on him. But anyway, I start reading this and there's this quote that really stuck out to me um, that is prefaced at the beginning of what I would call is maybe a bit of a manifesto. It's just a little booklet. It's not 
an incredibly large book, but anyway, I want to read this to you. But certainly for the present age, which prefers the sign to the signified, the copy to the original, fancy to reality, the appearance to the essence, illusion only is sacred, truth profane. Nay, sacredness is held to be enhanced in proportion as truth decreases and illusion increases, so that the highest degree of illusion comes to be the highest degree of sacredness. Now this is by Feuerbach, uh, written in The Essence of Christianity. Now, the writer Guy Debord goes on to really talk about the spectacle that we see in our society. And I don't know how long you've been listening, but I've been referencing spectacle for quite some time as well. I've been noticing, which is I think what many people are noticing, is that everything just looks so scripted and staged and intentionally presented to us with an intention of spectacle. And it's ridiculous. So I'm going to read you a little bit of some of this stuff that this man wrote in 1967. In societies where modern conditions of production prevail, all of life presents itself as an immense accumulation of spectacles. Everything that was directly lived has moved away into a representation. The images detached from every aspect of life fuse in a common stream in which the unity of this life can no longer be re-established. Reality considered partially unfolds in its own general unity as a pseudo-world apart, an object of mere contemplation. The specialization of images of the world is completed in the world of the autonomous image where the liar has lied to himself. The spectacle in general, as the concrete inversion of life, is the autonomous movement of the non-living. The spectacle presents itself simultaneously as all of society, as part of society, and as an instrument of unification. As a part of society, it is specifically the sector which concentrates all gazing and all consciousness. Due to the very fact that this sector is separate, it is the common ground of the deceived gaze and of false consciousness, and the unification it achieves is nothing but an official language of generalized separation. The spectacle is not a collection of images, but a social relation among people mediated by images. The spectacle cannot be understood as an abuse of the world of vision, as a product of the techniques of mass dissemination of images. It is, rather, a Weltenschnog, which has become actual, materially translated. It is a world vision which has become objectified. The spectacle, grasped in its totality, is both the result and the project of the existing mode of production. It is not a supplement to the real world, an additional decoration. It is the heart of the unrealism of the real society. In all its specific forms, as information or propaganda, as advertisement or direct entertainment consumption, the spectacle is the present model of socially dominant life. It is the omnipresent affirmation of the choice already made in production 
and its corollary consumption. The spectacle's form and content are identically the total justification of the existing system's conditions and goals. The spectacle is also the permanent presence of this justification, since it occupies the main part of the time lived outside of modern production. Separation is itself part of the unity of the world, of the global social praxis split up into reality and image. The social practice, which the autonomous spectacle confronts, is also the real totality which contains the spectacle. But the split within this totality mutilates it to the point of making the spectacle appear as its goal. The language of the spectacle consists of signs of the ruling production, which at the same time are the ultimate goal of this production. One cannot abstractly contrast the spectacle to the actual social activity. Such a division is itself divided. The spectacle which inverts the real is in fact produced. Living reality is materially invaded by the contemplation of the spectacle while simultaneously absorbing the spectacular order, giving it positive cohesiveness. Objective reality is present on both sides. Every notion fixed this way has no other basis than its passage into the opposite. Reality rises up within the spectacle, and the spectacle is real. The reciprocal alienation is the essence and the support of the existing society. In a world which really is topsy-turvy, the true is a moment of the false. The concept of spectacle unifies and explains a great diversity of apparent phenomena. The diversity and the contrast are appearances of a socially organized appearance, the general truth of which must itself be recognized. Considered in its own terms, the spectacle is affirmation of appearance and affirmation of all human life, namely social life, as mere appearance. But the critique which reaches the truth of the, spe of the spectacle exposes it as the visible negation of life as a negation of life which has become visible. To describe the spectacle, its formations, its functions, and the forces which tend to dissolve it, one must artificially distinguish certain inseparable elements. When analyzing the spectacle, one speaks, to some extent, the language of the spectacular itself in the sense that one moves through the methodical terrain of the very society which expresses itself in the spectacle. But the spectacle is nothing other than a sense of the total practice of a social economic formation, its use of time. It is a historical movement in which we are caught. The spectacle presents itself as something enormously positive, indisputable, and inaccessible. It says nothing more than, that which appears is good, that which is good appears. The attitude which it demands in principle is passive acceptance, which in fact it is already obtained by its matter of appearing without reply, by its monopoly of appearance. The basic tautological character of the spectacle flows from the simple fact that its means are simultaneously its ends. It is the sun which never sets over the empire of modern passivity. It covers the entire surface of the world and bathes endlessly in its own glory. The society which rests on modern industry is not accidentally or superficially spectacular. It is fundamentally spectacularist. In the spectacle, which is the image of the ruling economy, the goal is nothing, development everything. The spectacle aims at nothing other than itself. As the indispensable decoration of the objects produced today, as the general expose of the rationality of the system, as the advanced economic 
sector, which directly shapes a growing multitude of image objects. The spectacle is the main production of present-day society. The spectacle subjugates living men to itself to the extent that the economy has totally subjugated them. It is no more than the economy developing for itself. It is the true reflection of the production of things and the false objectification of the producers. The first phase of the domination of the economy over social life brought into the definition of all human realization the obvious degradation of being into having. The present phase of total occupation of social life by the accumulated results of the economy leads to a generalized sliding of having into appearing, from which all actual having must draw its immediate prestige and its ultimate function. At the same time, all individual reality has become social reality, directly dependent on social power and shaped by it. It is allowed to appear only to the extent that it is not. Where the real world changes into simple images, the simple images become real beings and effective motivations of hypnotic behavior. The spectacle, as a tendency to make one see the world by means of various specialized mediations, it can no longer be grasped directly, naturally finds vision to be the privileged human sense which the sense of touch was for other epochs. The most abstract, the most mystifiable sense corresponds to the generalized abstraction of present-day society. But the spectacle is not identifiable with mere gazing, even combined with hearing. It is that which escapes the activity of men, that which escapes reconsideration and correction by their work. It is the opposite of dialogue. Wherever there is independent representation, the spectacle reconstitutes itself. Wasn't that lovely? This book, oh my god. I have so many notes. I have underlined so many things. I've starred so many things because so much stands out to me. But one of the greatest, um, one of the most profound things that stood out to me is really resonates along kind of some thoughts that I have, I've shared, um, some, some real wrestling really reflects just kind of what I've been sensing right? And it, it really kind of pockets itself within eroticism for me, especially kind of like an erotic theology, right? In that there are so many different notions and sentiments and ideologies out there that kind of disregard our form, our physicality, our flesh. And with that reduces our senses, right? The sense of sight, sound, taste, touch, smell. And we live in a reality where we act as if the only sense that matters is sight, what I can see with my eyes, right? And after reading that part about, let me just read it to you again. When the real world changes into simple images, the simple images become real beings and effective motivations of hypnotic behavior. The spectacle as a tendency to make one see the world by means of various specialized mediations naturally finds vision to be the privileged human sense, which the sense of touch was for other epochs. Okay, so immediately what came to mind, and I wrote this down, is seeing is believing. And if I can see it with my own eyes, then I'll believe it. And 
we've predicated a lot of our beliefs around what I can see, what I can touch, what I can constitute as real. And this idea that we relied on touch as kind of our way of belief or understanding or comprehension of the world for epochs, right? For eons, forever. Touch was the privileged sense of, of humankind. Now it's sight. Now it's vision. So we have television programming. We have glorious scripted and staged scenes that unfold before us through streams, right? That are literally in our faces, in front of our eyes. And used. these, these images are used to validate quote-unquote truths about the world. And I think it's been such a disservice to us to divide ourselves against ourselves and against our senses to fall in line to needing reality to be truly believed through only vision, through only what I can see with my eyes because they can manipulate the fuck out of what we see. Hello? Hello? And there's always going to be someone that can point out the error and the flaw and the fallacy and the lie, right? So this sounds kooky and you can decide to never listen to me again after I talk about this. But I I see a lot of people showing clips of supposed astronauts in space, but they point out little things that don't make sense, like a glass of water sitting on a counter when there's three astronauts trying to convince us that they're on a Chinese space station, but there's literally a glass of water sitting on the desk. And, and I giggle over that. And then I giggle over these new, this, I saw a headline the other day. I don't know if it was even legitimate. I didn't check it, but it said, you know, NASA advises male astronauts to not masturbate in space in the space station because they could somehow impregnate a woman. <laughs> For the science people, they sure don't understand biological science because that's not how it happens. <laughs> But I digress. My point here is that you can be shown something, right? You can be shown something. This is really happening in Ukraine right now. Is it? (laughs) I can't prove it's not. That's how easily we can be programmed. And that's how easily we can be influenced, brainwashed, hypnotized, and told that what we're seeing is real because vision is the privileged sense. Is it vision? Okay. It's a denial of the self. It's a division of the self. It's a rejection of our divine power. It's a depletion of our divine energy to convince us that the only thing that is real, that the only belief that I can hold is through that which I can validate through vision. If I needed to convince people of anything and I privileged the sense of vision and I spent a century suggesting to people that seeing is believing, then yeah, I can get people on board with whatever agenda or plan I have and they'll support me and they'll finance me and they'll endorse me. Maybe, or people have just figured out how to cheat at elections. I don't know because I can't see anything or touch any votes with my own hands, but they showed me things, so therefore I should believe them. And I want to go back to touch. I say this all the time, right? And I and I get into I get into little philosophical and, and, and scientific 
disagreements with people, especially my son, who hates when I, you know, suggest that space is just a theory and the planets are just a theory and that I don't actually have to believe in science or believe in space or believe in, you know, the solar system because I can't fucking validate it for myself. I can't touch it. I can't smell it. I can't hear it. I can't taste it. And I damn sure didn't see it with my own two pupils in my own proximal physical space where my other senses are included. And this activates my son. But at the same time, I think he understands like what I mean. And I think we get really wrapped up in ideas that like aren't in our proximity, aren't in our intimate space. And we let them activate us and, and, and breach our energy fields to the point of like mental retardation, mental wrestling, mental infighting. But like that which is real is that which I can touch, right? No, if I can see it with my own eyes, that's all I need. I need to feel it. I need to touch it, right? Like I think of Monsters University where there's the, one of these endurance courses taking place for these monsters in training and they have these pink, sticky, spiky, looking things all over and they're like, you know, be careful because you don't want to touch that and this is what will do to you. And there's this one monster who's like, I want to touch it. I want to touch it, right? It's not that people need to touch a hot stove to verify that it's hot, but when we see things that we're curious about, we want to touch it, right? That's how children are. They sense the world through touch, right? They need to put everything in their mouth through taste, right? They want to pound everything against the floor. They want to hear it hear what it sounds like, right? All the incorporation of all of the senses matter, not just what we can see. We need to touch things, right? And we have this virtual world unfolding and it's all predicated on vision, on sight. Here, live in this reality. Reality is that which you can see. It's a fucking lie. Reality is what you can touch. What's real? I can touch it. I have a little pocket uh, constitution sitting right in front of me. I can touch it. It's real. I can feel. I can feel the binding. I can feel the pages. I can hear the pages. I can. The book smells like ink and paper, right? If I, I don't even have to put it in my mouth. I know what it'll feel like when I do it. But I can look. Listen. I can bite it, right? It it tastes like paper right? Well, it kind of tastes like nothing. But um, if you're interested in a pocket constitution, I picked mine up from the Cato Institute anyway. Reality is what I can fucking touch. I remember when I was like five or six and I started watching, you know, I started seeing things and they were introducing virtual reality. And then you knew about the rich friends who had virtual reality. And I always thought like, why? And then that, that Sims game came out on Xbox. I remember, I think it was like 21. I was fucking hooked on it. I could be a pretend person. Pick my little avatar. I could go live a life, build a house, have a great job, go to clubs, get drunk, have sex. All this stuff in a simulation that I controlled. And I was super freaking addicted to it. Like I was so into it, like building my house and decorating my house and earning all these points, right? And meeting all these friends and creating all these groups and going to clubs. And, and you established a whole community online. And I, I was into this for about a year. And I don't know what happened. I know what happened. I started smoking weed again is what happened. 
started smoking weed again and I couldn't play the game. I, uh, I just all of a sudden went, this is fucking stupid. I can go make friends in real life. I can go decorate my house in real life. I can go water my real life plants. I can go plant a real life garden. I can go play with my real life children, right? Like, and I just stepped back and I went, this is stupid. Why would anyone want to pretend to live a life when like you can live a life? Why have we gobbled up pretense of living a life virtually and accepting that? A pretend life? Why? You're in a real life. You are actively choosing to participate in a matrix, in a simulation, when you escape to the virtual world. When you allow your emotions to get so activated because you disagreed with some random avatar on Twitter and you take that energy and all of those thoughts and whatever story you build with it into your physical, proximal, touchable, real life, don't you feel absurd? I do. I would be embarrassed to vent to my husband about an argument that I got into with someone I've never met in person. Like it would be embarrassing. It still is. Like I don't even want to admit that I am emotively reacting to a fucking avatar. Oh, well, people are real on social media. Yeah, I'm real. I am a real person who utilizes social media. There are my pictures. I share real experience. Well, I don't share real experiences. I share images of experiences I've already experienced. I share words and articulation about experiences that are outside of that present moment. They're experiences in the past now. Like, do you, do you, does that make sense? So like, yes, there are real people on the internet, but that is not a real connection. That is not a real relationship. A relationship is touchable. You can smell a relationship. Okay, you can taste a relationship. You can hear a relationship. And you can see it. You can see a person that you're in relationship with. Like that's what's real. It incorporates all five senses. Eroticism. The nature of God is erotic. The nature of God was stamped into us. The image of God incorporates senses, physicality. We're not just spiritual, we're physical. That doesn't make us less than. We can feel things. And, and another person's skin next to you. Like, don't you appreciate that more than someone liking your fucking tweet? Or, or watching your stupid TikTok? I'm sad how disconnected we are. That's why in the beginning of this recording, I urged you to go outside and touch nature and reconnect with what's real because we are, like, come on. Over 70% of the, the country is, is vitamin D deficient. That's because we spend our time in a virtual reality absent of sunlight, absent of clean air, of fresh natural air. Because we're not sitting by trees and laying in the grass. We're sitting in the metaverse trying to look at digital ass. It's, that's deplorable. That is a de-evolution of humanity. For us to advance as far as we have, and I don't even know if 
we've really advanced, honestly, because I feel like we've gotten so much dumber. But there's nothing that heals us or connects us or strengthens us or revitalizes us or produces for us like nature. Like literally, we depend on nature to survive, to eat, to breathe. And it's beautiful. That's the sight. That's what, that's the images. Those are the images you're supposed to be looking at. They're real. They're not, they're not images. They're real. They're real experiences that you can see with your own pupils outside of a filter or a screen, right? And that you can touch and you can smell and you can taste and you can hear. Nature has a sound. And we're too busy listening to sound bites. We're not creating and we're not connecting. We're dividing. We're degenerating. Devolving. Diminishing our spirit. We're diminishing our divinity. We're just openly cool with just being monkeys of mimicry. Like... I think about that every time I see a TikTok video trend and someone's like, I'm going to do it too and stitch this or duet this and copy me, copy me, copy me, copy me, copy me. What, what was it that I read? We prefer the copy to the original, the fancy to the real. We keep creating more reasons to hate life, to escape life, to reject life. Like the spectacle is the production. And then we're so hung up on productivity. How productive can you be? Do you know how productive you could be if you grew your if you grew your own garden? That is banger human productivity. Growing your own food. Do you know how pimp shit that is? Do you know how badass it is to grow your own food? Look, I'm gonna interject. I have to share. I have to share. So I went on like this three year hiatus where I wasn't gardening. Like I planted a garden, but then I just oh god, I was so depressed. I was so depressed. I was being surveilled. I, I, I was living in an environment that was just toxic. And thankfully, I was kicked off that toxic environment. And I'm in a new place now. But so I didn't can anything. I didn't store anything. I didn't put anything up, right? I didn't fill my basement with all of the abundant fruits of my labor from the garden. So this year... Although the garden has been a struggle, we've had to build gardens because like this this house that we bought, the landscaping is pristine, but it none it's not really edible, and it wasn't really set up for some farmers and gardeners to move into. So we had to we built a bunch of raised beds, and we battled the elements of the weather, and we really started like midway through the summer losing hope. Um, but then I started sticking my copper in all my gardens and I started praying over my gardens more and I really went hard with watering and God damn it. I grew some amazing fruits this year, right? Like my peppers, my onions, my garlic, my herbs and my tomatoes. Dear God, are is that the nectar of God right there? And I made the most incredible salsa right perfectly spicy not too hot because I like it way hotter than the rest of my family but I want my family to be able to enjoy this because I don't know if you know this peppers especially spicy peppers 
are like a pinnacle of vitamin C. Vitamin C is what protects our immune system. And salsa for Minnesotans is a good thing to stock up and have on hand and store in your basement, you know, so that you can get your dose of vitamin C in the winter. But it's also a reminder of the summer of the past. But I was so proud. I, I made eight pints. Now, this is just a first little abundance of the first fruits of the tomatoes and the peppers. Like, they're going strong right now. Like, I'm going to have oodles of tomatoes, and I'm so excited. But this was, like, the first thing I canned this year. And I we've been dehydrating and, and um, freeze-drying a lot of stuff and putting that up. And we've been, you know, adding to our when shit hits the fan cupboard you know, like, I don't, I don't know if there's going to be food shortages or not. So I, I mean, I do buy a little bit and put it, put it away. But my point is, is I was so happy. I made these eight pints of salsa. I already ate a pint. It tastes amazing. It looks like sunshine because I, I grow orange tomatoes, heirloom orange tomatoes, three different types. And they're orange. So it, it looks like sunshine salsa. That's what I'm calling it. Sunshine salsa. And the pride I had over completing that salsa all day was, I mean, it was orgasmic because I had really good sex too that night. I just want to throw that in there because when I am productive in that manner where it's purposeful productivity because it's for me because I planted a seed and nurtured and grew and, and collected and harvested from that which I created, it was amazing. And we don't, we've lost that. We've lost that. We take pride in imitation and mimicry and copycats. We don't take pride in actual original creation. We don't take pride in putting in love. We take pride in insulting people. We take pride in dogging out people, attacking people. We take pride in calling people out. And that is so not what we were meant for. We were meant to make sunshine salsa and to grow beautiful gardens and to feel euphoric when we put our feet on the grass, when we put our hands in the dirt. We were not meant to be virtual creatures who interface through devices and streaming. We're not meant to be activated and upset and filled with contempt and, and paranoid and always thinking that there's something out to get us. Look, you want to believe in an agenda, in a deceiver, in an accuser, in a Satan, in a dark energy? I mean, I, it's not that I don't. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's like that I believe in it, but it's like I think there are different types of energies out there that we can plug into that can influence us, hypnotize us, program us, and... If you're concerned about that, if you're concerned about that control and containment, infiltration, remove yourself from it. Stop participating in it. Stop engaging it. Stop letting it activate you. Stop bringing the virtual violence into the real life, into your intimate life. Don't do that. Don't, don't bring in story building from some fucking avatar into your home over dinner you know what I mean like if you feel anxious if you feel like your chest is tightening if you feel like your head is going to explode I'm 
I'm telling you, get outside. Go feel the sun. If you're getting rain where you're at, we're not here in Minnesota, but if you're getting rain where you're at, go dance in the fucking rain. Drew Barrymore was right. Get out in the fucking rain. This is baptism, man. This is cleansing. It's restoration. It's revitalization. It's rejuvenation. Restoration. Water of God pouring down on you. Like, get out. Get out of the matrix. Get out of the simulation. Get away from the spectacle. Fuck society. Fuck society. Not literally, but like say fuck you to them. And then the additional harvest, the additional fruit that you can eat from is also, you know, the fruit of fucking. So grow a garden, nurture it, long for its fruit, and then devour it. Love it and long for more and plant more and keep that circle going. Garden, grow, grow love, have sex. Until next time, take care.